This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, August 29th, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown, a nuclear-armed nation in an unstable region without its longtime military leader and a ruling coalition that has just collapsed. What's the effect of these upheavals in Pakistan on U.S. security? Malou Innocent, a foreign policy analyst at the Cato Institute, comments. Well, what's interesting is that both of the presidential contenders, both John McCain and Senator Barack Obama, have said that they want to deploy at least two to three battalions, additional battalions, into Afghanistan. That would be roughly 7,000 to 15,000 additional troops. Uh, The problem with that is that we might get similarly bogged down as the Soviet Union did less than 20 years ago. And it's important to keep in mind that any sort of resolution to the instability within Afghanistan must be reached through political reconciliation. And unfortunately, uh, Afghan President Hamid Karzai, his writ doesn't extend beyond Kabul. So there needs to be some sort of political reconciliation there to uh, sort of get more of the the Pashtun tribes into the political settlement and not just exclude them and sort of just integrating the Northern Alliance, which is mostly composed of Tajiks and Uzbeks. Also within the tribal areas, which have uh, been experiencing several heavy infiltration into Afghanistan, it's important to keep in mind that any sort of heavy U.S. combat military presence in the tribal areas only exacerbate uh, the crisis right now. Uh, The Pashtun tribes that that inhabit the tribal areas um, have uh, ethos of of sort of a you know, goodwill and and sort of swift justice, but they also uh, use uh, the idea of vengeance. If uh, a member of their family is killed or maimed, that they want to attack those involved or those who are responsible for those deeds. And so when I was in Pakistan, I spoke to some uh, members of the tribe from South Waziristan, and they said that most of the area, composed of possibly four to 500,000 people, are extremely sympathetic to the Taliban because they offer a competing political vision. So so these uh, these solutions must be raised at through through political reconciliation, not necessarily through military means. And I think we saw that with Iraq as well, and the quelling of the Al Anbar region in in uh, in western Iraq. That was brought about through uh, most likely through through bribes, of course, but also uh, not necessarily through hard edge military tactics, but more of clear and hold counterinsurgency operations. And that seems to be the best prescription for dealing with the tribal areas within western Pakistan. So earn their trust. Earn their trust. Um, these are people that can be uh, that would consider you their friends, but never consider you, uh, you their masters, if so to speak. So, um, so this is a m- mostly an egalitarian society, but it's one that has been virtually ungoverned for several centuries. The writ of the Pakistani state doesn't extend into these tribal areas. The laws and political systems and constitution that prevails here is much different than in mainland Pakistan. The British, the Soviets, the Persians, the Turks, the Mughals. All these sort of groups have tried to dominate this region, and they've been unsuccessful because they are fiercely independent tribes that um, have repeatedly repulsed uh, uh, external invaders. So any sort of military means uh, will be met with with a defeat. A nuclear-armed country, well, how does the instability in Afghanistan and Pakistan play out in terms of the security of the nuclear arsenal? Well, people in the West are understandably terrified and hyperventilating over the prospect that a Muslim-majority country, a nuclear Muslim-majority country, will descend into chaos and instability and allow militant extremists to sort of get hold of Pakistan's nuclear arsenal. Fortunately, uh, Pakistan's warheads and detonators and missiles are actually dispersed within uh, six to ten separate military bases, so that assumes that militants can actually infiltrate these bases and then have the technical expertise to 
even assemble and launch these weapons. Uh, fortunately, these uh, these uh, bases are, are highly guarded. They're under the command control of uh, the Pakistani army. And so it looks as if uh, they were they are relatively safe. They're under safe lock and key. Um, one thing that's interesting in my trip to Pakistan is the amount of of uh, sort of conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories are extremely pervasive in this part of the world. And in speaking to several people, there was a constant fear that the United States was purposely fomenting instability within the region as a pretext to then uh, reacquire to, to sort of to apprehend uh, Pakistan's nuclear arsenal. So it's important to also keep in mind, just kind of dovetailing with the point made earlier about keeping the interests of those countries that we interact with in, in mind, in the sense that we can't escape our past as a country, the United States. I mean, Ted uh, Galen Carpenter writing a book on this right now, actually, in sort of America's uh, more unsavory past and overthrowing governments and sponsoring coups and sponsoring insurgent guerrilla movements. And even though we as Americans have kind of moved away from this or forgotten about it or what have you, um, these thoughts are still within the minds of many people throughout the world. And despite all the good and uh, that America has done throughout the world, and despite the uh, very admirable uh, principles that the founding fathers have laid out, um, um, unfortunately, our government has not lived up to those principles, and especially when it comes to dealing with other nations. And so the sort of the systemic problem of combating America's image um, is is just one place in, in Pakistan is where the United States must must sort of try and launch maybe a PR offensive, but it seems unlikely that any sort of offensive will actually help because of America's sort of tattered past and history. Hopefully from now we can move forward. Um, and that also requires, again, uh, not embracing one particular person or leader and understanding the interests of this 165 plus million people living in Pakistan. Population-wise, that's more than Russia currently. So again, um, this is a strategically important region of the world. It's abutting a, a uh, combat zone that the United States is faced with. It's uh, adjacent to um, it's our, uh, America's ally, India. It's adjacent to America's possible peer competitor in the future, China. So uh, looking at the dyads within within Asia now, uh, China long-term relationship with Pakistan, India's long-term relationship with Afghanistan, and there's now this fear that there's sort of a proxy war between India and Pakistan within Afghanistan, because um, there's also fear that if Pakistan might be keeping the Taliban on a sort of a short reign or turning a blind eye to the Taliban as sort of a proxy force to use against uh, Hamid Karzai's regime in Afghanistan, which Pakistan uh, accuses of being pro-Indian. So now many in Pakistan's military circles fear that they're being encircled by these hostile forces. So it's important to keep in mind that the security dyads and the security um, interests of the countries involved because we could be stepping into a hornet's nest. And I think that the two presidential candidates, sort of this push to sort of just have their own surge within Afghanistan because it worked in Iraq, and why doesn't it work in Afghanistan? So uh, these are completely different uh, political situations, geopolitical situations, completely different people, completely different mindset, completely different regions. And it's important to be cautious in our prescriptions and to actually diagnose the problem effectively. Malou Innocent is a foreign policy analyst at the Cato Institute. You can read more of her writings on Pakistan at Cato.org.